All right, Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Westside. We're glad that you're here today. Um, We're continuing in our series Epiphany where we're talking about that God is like Jesus and that we're having these aha sort of epiphany moments that the revelation of Jesus Christ and we don't have to guess sort of what God is like. And we've been going along in the Gospel of Luke, and if you will, the volume's getting turned up a little bit. Jesus is getting a bit more controversial, but at the same time, these statements that Jesus is making are very revealing about who God is. And and maybe as a way of illustration, this will help us out. I sort of had my own aha epiphany moment. I'm hanging out with the kids at the house, and we were watching just a super gospel-centered, super biblical movie um, as a family, the Lego movie. And um, it was great, and it's a super fun movie. And at the beginning of the movie, there's this great scene where Emmett, like, like it shows you Lego land, if you will. And Emmett wakes up, and that's where we get the everything is awesome and kind of the song and stuff like that. That's going to be in your head all day now. And Emmett wakes up, and the first thing that he does when Emmett wakes up in Legoland, this is what you're supposed to do in Legoland, is you wake up, you go to your manual. And um, this, is, this is what the manual says. This is the how-to manual uh, put out by Octane, Minist- uh, almost said ministries, Octane Corporation. It says how to fit in, how to have everyone like you, how to um, and always be happy. And then at the bottom it says failure to follow these instructions may result in a sad and unfulfilling life, right? And so he goes to his manual and it says, first thing, greet the day, greet the day. And then and the manual says, buy overpriced coffee. And you buy overpriced coffee and all this fun stuff. But as uh, Emmett leaves his apartment and starts to walk around, Octan Corporation is run by a guy by the name of Lord Business. And these are the billboards all over Legoland that encourage you to go to your manual and learn how to live your day because if not, Lord Business has his eye on you. And I'm sitting there with my family watching this movie about Emmett and Legoland and I realize I wake up and I go to my how-to manual and I read sometimes with the motivation of how to get people to like me. I go about my day, and I think what hangs over my life are billboards and images of God 
saying, I've got my eye on you. And this is viewed sort of as a manual and obedience and external behavior is magnified as the measurement for faithfulness. And I just think if maybe, you know, we're honest with ourselves, that's a lot of the image of God that we have. And there's a lot going on in our passage today. And so I'm going to have to set a few things up for us. And it's going to be a little bit teachy, but don't worry. Maybe towards the end I'll get to yelling or something like that. And then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll apply this. But what's taking place, if, if you see in the passage, there's a phrase used twice. Is it lawful? The law is used twice in the passage. And then this word Sabbath, the issue of Sabbath is used six times in 11 verses. Okay? So there's something going on about a law. And there's something going on about the Sabbath being the measurement of that law, okay? But there's something else surrounding this passage as well. And there's two terms that we need to define um, as, as we jump into this. The first term that we need to define is a theological term that's called legalism, okay? Legalism. And, and this is the term that we're going to use for legalism. Legalism is leaning on your obedience to earn God's love. Or simply put, legalism is being more strict than God is. Okay? So um, what we see taking place in this passage is, is there's an element of legalism. That, that there is a law, there's some things maybe added to that law, but the external obedience of that is what is measured as love to God. Okay, so, so I have to, you know, give a little confession here. I'm, I'm a recovering legalist, all right? My goal in life is to put the fun back in fundamentalism, all right? Okay? And maybe some of us grew up that way where external behavior... Now, now, now listen, is obedience a good thing? Yeah, it is. If you ask one of my kids, obedience, and they'll say, brings joy. But we're going to learn some things that precede that, right? So, so legalism is leaning on my obedience in order to earn God's love. Now... There's, there's a ditch on either side of the road. As Luther says, as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, the gospel is constantly crucified between two errors. Legalism is one, and the other is lawlessness. Okay, Or, you know, for the two of you who care, church history, it's antinomianism, this, that, and the other. And here's what lawlessness is. is losing all obedience to any commands in the name of love. And you have to say it like that. Love. Okay. Um, lawlessness is legalism in disguise. That's all it is. So lawlessness, um, legalism would say, um, we come to church dressed a certain way because we give God our best. Right? And, and everybody always has verses for their side. It's like, it's like textual tennis. Like, ha-ha, dress up. And then lawlessness goes, well, Jesus wants us just as I am. Ha-ha, and then hits the tennis ball back over. And so now we got like this thing going back and forth, Right? Um, but the problem with lawlessness is, is any law, the only law in lawlessness is to disobey all laws, which is actually a law. So it's a problem, right? So a great depiction of this is our society on both ends, okay? And so what we see Jesus dealing with in this passage, and, and, and here's what's interesting. The issue is law and Sabbath. But Jesus does something to the man with the withered hand. And there's restoration. It says that his hands are stored. You see, lawlessness and legalism are both trying to achieve something. And it's rest and restoration. The problem is, is that they never achieve it. They never achieve it. Because the issue is over Sabbath. Okay? 
So, so we have to learn a few things about Sabbath. Sabbath is a big word, but so is mocha frappuccino, okay? All right? So what is Sabbath? Now, a lot of you would go, well, that's one of the commandments, right? That's one of God's top tens. Well, yes, but it precedes that. So um, we go all the way back to creation, when, when God was like, Milky Way, boom, it was like really cool stuff was happening, okay? And then we see this was what takes place on the seventh day. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. Um, question, was God tired? Um, no. Just like God did not make Adam and Eve because he was lonely. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, okay? All right? That's poor teaching. We're seeing, we're seeing how the universe works, that there is a rhythm here, that there's this work, that there's this creation, but then God steps back, and on that day, he says, this is all good. God enjoys his creation on the seventh day. I read a lot of systematic theology, a lot of you know, theological works, and most authors never talk about God enjoying stuff like being happy or things like this, right? But we see that a good thing is, is to rest from labor and to enjoy what is taking place. Now, when God saves the people of Israel out of slavery, remember the Charlton Heston scene and the let my people go and all that stuff, he saves them out of Egypt from slavery, then gives them the Ten Commandments. God does not come to the people who are in Egypt in slavery, and say, here are my Ten Commandments, here's what you need to do, and when you fulfill those, I will get you out of slavery. He doesn't do that. And so, and so, so let's get a working definition of what the Sabbath is. What we see is that the Sabbath is the fourth of the Ten Commandments given by God in Exodus 28 through 11, okay? Here's what's interesting. When it comes to the Sabbath command, when it comes to the Sabbath command, this day is separate. It's, it's holy. It's actually one of the longest commands given, like the other commands are pretty straightforward. Um, don't kill someone. Any questions? Okay, right? Don't lie, okay? But this one God institutes, and then later on in Deuteronomy, he says, um, you need to live this way because no other nation lives this way. Why? Because this is a reminder that the Lord your God saved you out of the land of slavery. And, and, and so it's this lifestyle. It's God saves them, and then they live a different way, right? And so we see that it's uh, the Sabbath began in Jewish tradition Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown because Sunday was the first day of the week. Now, for us as Christians, um, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Oh, that was a, I mean, I teed that amen up for you just like right there, okay? Um, we as Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And, and he did that on Sunday, on the first day of the week. And so now, because of the Judeo-Christian background here in the U.S., like schools and this, that, and the other, that's why there's a Saturday and Sunday. So it kind of gives the Jewish tradition and the Christian tradition like two days. I know some of you are like, two days, that'd be nice, preacher. Yeah, all right, you're angry and tired because you're overworked, but we'll get to that in a second, all right? Okay? And so here's what we see what takes place. And, and just a quick definition of Sabbath. Here's what a Sabbath is. A Sabbath is a rhythm, it's a reminder, and it is a rest. A rhythm and a reminder and a rest. It's a rhythm. We see that God does something and says, this is how all of creation works, and that there's a rhythm to this. And you can fight against this rhythm all that you want, all that you want, and that rhythm will always win because it's literally embedded in the cosmos. 
but it's also a reminder. What's the reminder? The reminder is this, that you're not God. That's what the day means. I saved you out. I did that work. And God can do more in a 24-hour period of you doing nothing in your life than you can do in six 14-hour days. That's that reminder. It's a trust factor. It's a surrender. But then it's a rest. There really is a rest here. And this is what the entire passage revolves around, is this idea of legalism, of, of my obedience to this law obtaining rest. That's the restoration. That's everything that's taking place. And so what I want to do, I want to use this passage um, as an examination for our own hearts. Because what we see in this passage is, well, just simply this, is, is, is how to become a legalist. That, that, that are we in our lives measuring things um, in a way in which what I see in the passage, Jesus does not measure rest and restoration by, okay? So the first thing that I see is this. You can become a legalist by um, you try to find and focus on other people's faults. You're just interested in other people's failures, okay? So here's where the passage picks up. On Sabbath, while they were going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some of the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees says, what, what are you doing that's not lawful? So there's a lot contextually going on here. Jesus is walking through. Him and his disciples are walking through a field, and they just get a little kettle corn, if you will, right? Just, you know, they, they pop the heads off that, just a little snack, if you will, burning some calories walking through. The Pharisees say that's not lawful. Technically, by the letter of the law, it, it's okay. In Deuteronomy, God says that you're allowed to do such a thing as that. But, but before we get into any, in any of that, how'd the Pharisees know they were doing that? They're watching Jesus. You say, Jason, do you have a verse to back that up? Actually, I do. Continue down in the passage. Check this out. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there who rose with a withered hand. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether if he would heal on the Sabbath. That phrase that Luke says, watched him, is literally means does not remove their eyes from him. Which makes me wonder, I just had this question. I wonder if they even noticed the guy with the withered hand. I wonder if they even noticed anyone who needed help. That's the issue. They did not. Why? Because we're watching this Jesus guy. And he's not doing the things that we think that he should be doing. And he's focusing. You know what I think every time I think of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and stuff? I always think of Paul Blart the mall cop. You ever seen that? Right? Like no real authority but will tase you in a heartbeat, son. Right? And just riding around like, we got problems over here? Huh? Right? And um, you see what's going on um, in their marriage? And um, just prayer request, um, did you know about so-and-so? Oh, and I want to really see, do you have this? And, um, and when we are so interested in what's going on in other people's lives, it's a great way to distract what's going on in ours. Okay? Now, there's a ditch on either side of the road. This is where, like, yeah, see, the Bible says, judge not. Paul says in the New Testament, I don't judge outsiders. I actually judge members of the church, but that's an entirely different sermon, okay? Here's what I'm saying. Every time that a passage says something about examining people, it always precedes it with you examining yourself first. Always. But it is very easy, 
very easy to judge people by their external behavior and how they are not living up to some concept. So the first thing you can do is, is that you try to find and focus on other people's faults. The second thing is this. Um, you use the Bible. You don't treasure the Bible. And there's a fundamental difference. You see, uh, the passage continues down. On another Sabbath, he entered into the synagogue and was teaching. I'm sorry, uh, jump back up to the first Sabbath, verse 2. But some of the Pharisees says, what are you doing? That's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Here it is, verse 3. And Jesus answered them. Have you not read? Oh, man, this is so great. This is like a mic drop moment, all right? Jesus is flexing hard in this question. The, these guys had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized. Their profession was the law of God. And Jesus quotes an Old Testament story about David and his boys, and they're running from Saul, and they're dying from starvation, and David is anointed king, but he's not physically over in the throne yet. And so and they come across the temple. There's the bread of presence, and David eats it, and you're not supposed to eat it. And long story short, David was dying, and he was hungry. Okay? But Jesus says, have you not read that? Well, of course they had read it, which tells me this. Listen to me. There is a way that you can read your Bible and miss the entire God of the Bible. And Westside, please listen to me. It is a cancer in Popper Bluff, Missouri to read your Bible that way. And it is massively predominant. And so before I get more angry, I just have some questions to ask us, okay? Um, these are great questions to ask yourself before engaging with the Bible or commenting about the Bible. The first one is this. Um, do I read the Bible on a regular basis? And listen, that's not a slam, okay? If you don't, we, we would love for you to get involved in that, okay? But here, but here you go. If you don't, then you should probably not have opinions about biblical matters. We good? Okay. Because if I'm not familiar with something, but I have an opinion about something, all that does is show my ignorance about the issue. What Jesus is saying is, I'm deeply concerned. Have you not read? I'm deeply concerned about the approach to coming to the Scriptures. The second question is this. Um, if you do read the Bible on a regular basis, how about this? Why do you read the Bible? I think it's a good question to ask. Why do you read it? Do you read it so you can prove that political party wrong because they just don't get it and they're the demise of everything that's going on in the world? Because I'll pray for you. Because you're so tired. You're so angry. Do you, do you read it and use it as a bat? Because my kids just don't get it. And what they need is to sit down at the table, and I got the word of God. Yeah, and you do, and you have it like a baseball bat. And maybe that's why they're running. Just maybe. Why do you read it? Or how about this question? Who do you discuss the Bible with? Who do you discuss it with? Do you discuss the Bible with everybody that looks like you, votes like you, talks like you, agrees just like you, and only reads the same stuff that you do and for the same reasons that you do? Because if you do, you live in a fishbowl. You know what one of my favorite things to do is? I love it. I love spending time and having meetings with non-Christians, people who don't love Jesus, and they cuss a little. I love it. Love it. You know why? It's so refreshing. You know why? No agenda. 
no agenda. They'll disagree with me. I don't, why are you believe that? Why are you reading that? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing And what it does is it drives me here and it makes me go, why do I believe that? And God, is it? And what? It's, it's a beautiful thing to read the Bible in community, but also in a community of people who do not think exactly like you do. That's what we see is the problem here. And then the last question is this um, What do I think the Bible's all about? Because according to the Pharisees, it was a massive list of rules. That's what it was. It was the how-to manual. It was Legoland, right? It was you do this, 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 you do this. Now, question, is that stuff in there? For sure, it is in there. Probably doesn't mean necessarily that what you think that it means. But do you think the Bible is about the good people who love God get to spend eternity with God and the bad people who don't love God don't spend eternity with God? Is that really the basis of what you think the Bible is? Because that's exhausting. And that's a very, very small view of the scriptures. You see, what I see a Pharisee does is a Pharisee and a legalist uses the Bible. They don't treasure it. They don't say when Jesus turns to the disciples and says to Peter, are you going to leave? Are you going to go? And Peter says, where else would I go? For you have the words of eternal life. For when David says, I meditate upon it day and night, and your precepts are what gives me life. Or when Solomon says, for every word of God proves true and is a refuge for those who take treasure in that. There's a profound difference there. And so you can focus on other people's faults. You can use the Bible and not treasure the Bible. But how about this one? This one's a ton of fun. You make extra biblical rules. Ooh, this is great. Ready? If I haven't made you mad yet, it's coming. Here it is, verse 9. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to, or to destroy it? Verse 10, looking around them, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did, and it was restored. I love that Jesus asked questions. I'm learning that a lot in my life. Um, I feel a lot of pressure to make statements and give answers a lot of times. I think it's just a lot more wise to just ask questions than it is to make statements. But Jesus says, let me ask you something. Is it more lawful to do good and heal this man or obey your rules and not heal this man? Because that's considered, quote, unquote, work. Now, there's something surrounding this. Um, God gives the commands, but in Jewish history, what we see is something called the Talmud. The Talmud was the oral teachings of the rabbi as to how to apply the written law. And it's volumes and volumes, and it's this rabbi and that rabbi and, and, and all of those type of things. And so actually when it comes to the Sabbath, there were 26 chapters as to what the oral tradition said was work and was not work, literally down to the amount of steps that you could take in a day. And they judged whether you were obeying or not obeying by that type of external behavior. And you know what's interesting? We look at something like that, and we're like, no way, that's ridiculous. But we do it today. Sure. We, we have preferences, and we have things that maybe have been passed down in ways in which we don't really understand that we use as to judge what is right and what is wrong. I mean, contemporary versus traditional. It's got real quiet, man, right? 
Because God loves this and God loves that and this and that and all. And, and listen, here's what it boils down to. It boils down to a level of preference that we raise over biblical principles. That's what it boils down to. And, and if I could summarize, I was a student pastor up in St. Louis for a number of years. And, and, and there was a boy in our youth group named Luke. I loved Luke. Luke um, loved Jesus, but was extremely athletic and extremely popular. And so Luke always felt this pull and this rub of loved being at youth group, loved being around, you know, hanging out in community, doing all that. But then just this pull to hang out with his friends and to do stuff that he knew, like, man, this isn't the greatest thing in the world to be doing. And so Luke would always pray for two friends specifically two friends. Pray for them all the time. Man, I want them to come to youth with me. I want them to hang out. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know Jesus. And Luke's two friends came one night to youth group, and we were so pumped. Luke came up, was like, my, my, my boys are here. This is awesome. And so I had to go. I ran and did something that was going on, and so we got like 80 kids. It was awesome. And I come around the corner, and I see a youth volunteer laying into these two kids. I'm talking laying into them. And I walk up, and I walked up right on the sentence of, and you're wearing those hats in God's house. And so I thought, okay, I'm about to lay hands on someone in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> but I did not disrespect the youth worker in front of those kids. Um, I said, hey, you guys are, you know, active. They didn't love Jesus. They didn't know what was going on. They were bouncing off the walls and all this stuff. I said, hey, you guys need to chill out, do this. And I said, I told the youth worker, I said, I need you to come over here. And so we had a conversation. He said, yeah, but they're doing all that, disrespecting, wearing the hat, doing all that. And I said, hey, listen, Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it does not dwell in temples made with hands and is not served by the hands of mankind. I understand what you're saying about reverence and respect, but what you are doing is taking something that you like and you are laying it as a burden of obedience onto someone else, and that is a problem. And I said this, do you think, do you think that those kids will come back next week? And I said, did you know that Luke's been praying for these kids? And so we had a great come to Jesus moment. And here's what Jesus is getting at when he asks this question. If your rules, your extra biblical rules, keep you from loving people and doing what is right, you are simply wrong. You are simply wrong. Because what Jesus is saying is that this type of restoration, he shows us this in the, in the miracle itself. You think the rest and restoration is going to come from leaning into your obedience. But it comes from what I am doing right now. And it really boils down to this. The last thing that I think is what we do to become a legalist. And it's really the motivation. And it's that you love control more than you love Jesus. That's just it. Because, man, with it, with, when it comes to legalism, we can... We can control like some external behavior and we can lord fear and punishment as a motivator and it'll motivate. It'll actually get some things done. The problem is, is that it's just not sustainable because look at what happens in verse 11. But when they were filled with fury, <laughs> they're filled with fury. Jesus just healed a man. Jesus just healed a man and they are mad about it, bro. Like super mad about it. And then it says they discuss what they might do with Jesus. Did you know that this is, this is it? This is a part of the allegations that got Jesus murdered. The rest of Luke's gospel, they are sort of in the background plotting 
and doing these political dynamics to make this happen. Why? Because when you lose control, when you lose control, you lose your idol. And what you realized is, is, man, it's scary that you can make this book and you can make a version of Jesus out to be almost whatever you want it to be. But the difference maker is, is when you submit to what that really is and you lose that type of quote-unquote control. Because do you know what the purpose of the law really is? So, so it's like, what's the answer to this, right? It's not lawlessness, and it's obviously not the legalism. How do we gain this rest, this Sabbath rest that's sort of surrounding this passage? Do you know what one of the uses of the law actually is? Maybe this will help as an illustration. Um, you ever had an x-ray before? You ever had an x-ray? Just, I just Googled an x-ray of a broken bone. That has nothing to do with anything. It's just a random, okay, right? And a really bad one, right? Um, that x-ray reveals the broken bone. And could you imagine if you went into the doctor's office and they go, yep, it's broken. X-ray says it all. Good luck. Talk to you later. All right, some of you are like, I had that happen to me, okay, right? The x-ray doesn't fix anything. It just reveals what's broken. That's the law. The whole point of what Jesus is saying is you don't even understand the purpose. The purpose is, is that this is used to reveal Jesus is what heals. That's the whole point when Jesus says, I am the Lord of the, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, what's over the Sabbath? The Sabbath is a part of creation. It's a divine institution. Well, the only person that could be over a divine institution is the divine. And, and here's how you heal it. Are you ready? Here's how you heal legalism, and here's how you heal lawlessness. It's right in the passage. It's what Jesus tells the man. Stretch out your hand. What's the hand? It's what's broken. It's what needs healing. But what does legalism do? It hides it. It covers it up. Because my behavior and saying all the right things and coming in, how are you? Fine, doing the thing, all this stuff. And all of that stuff is to hide what's broken. And lawlessness hides it the same way. It just runs the other direction. And so when Jesus says, stretch out your hand, what Jesus is saying is, I want what's broken. I don't want your obedience. I don't want this and that first and foremost. I want your heart. Because then what follows after that? Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. That it's a relationship with Jesus is what brings rest. That's what I'm trying to say. Your, your, your obedience is not the foundation of that. It's a result of a relationship with Jesus. One band put it this way. You're not struggling to be free with Jesus. You're free to struggle. And there's a profound difference there. So when we come and partake in the elements of communion, here's what I want you to think today. Am I, am I leaning on my obedience today? Is it like, ah, man, this is what I do so that God loves me? Or is it, wow, God loves me. And this produces all types of other things in my life. Or are you just running and it's like I'm so free, I have all this rest because I'm not restrained. And I think if you're honest with yourself, there's no true rest actually there. You see, we lay both of them down and we pick up Jesus Christ.
So Westside, would you stand to your feet as we say out loud and pray as Jesus taught us to pray with these very words. Westside, lift your voices. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and if we're honest, the thing is, is that it's hard to be honest. The faith is stretching forth what is broken. God, we're so afraid to do that. We try to hide what's broken with our external behaviors, focusing on other people's faults, using good things. At the end of the day, Jesus, what you say to us today is stretch forth what is broken, what is withered. And that's where rest and restoration is truly found. So God, I pray today that as we come forward and that we lay the anxieties and the troubles down at the table, pick up the body broken and the blood shed, that we would hear the very words of Jesus, that it is finished. That is where the true rest is found. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ.